this week on the nonprofit news feed for the week of November 29th. This just in, it's almost December. <laughs> and it's Giving Tuesday. We're super excited to be recording this on Giving Tuesday, the official largest day of giving. And we've got some news to follow that. As always, we have Nick here. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, George, how's it going? Happy Giving Tuesday. I'm sorry I forgot to uh, get you a gift this year, but maybe next year. (laughs) If only there was some way to make a donation. (laughs) For sure. But I can start us off with our first story. And this is again on today, Giving Tuesday, just being aware of scams. There's going to be a lot of money moving and changing hands. Uh, We at Whole Whale estimate approximately $3 billion in revenue um, we'll see if we're able to meet that uh, that goal, that prediction. But in our newsletter, we highlighted some guidelines from organizations like the Better Business Bureau, which has published a guide for folks about making informed decisions when donating. And we want consumers to be safe and donate to effective, legitimate organizations. But for the nonprofit professionals listening, uh, they should, I think, just kind of be aware that uh, donors, I think, are increasingly going to be doing their research. They might be looking to see what kind of impact your organization is affecting on the ground. They might look for those things like seals of transparency from the charity navigators and charity rating organizations of the world. So we in our newsletter have highlighted some best practices when it comes to uh, being transparent to prospective donors. verifying to uh, your audience that you are a legitimate organization, you're driving impact, doing all those things. But just something to be aware about on what is sure a exciting uh, day of tremendous giving. And this advice carries well beyond Giving Tuesday as we consider this the kickoff and not end of giving for December, certainly for end of year. You want to be thinking about brand defense campaigns, things that make sure, frankly, on search and other platforms that you show up as the official charity to give to if people are searching for your name. I think, you know, what we've seen in Google advertising for Google ad grants and other pieces have done a bit better in terms of trying to curtail some of this, uh, you know, I'll call it at best case sort of confusion around if it's your charity's name versus another's but you want to be running your brand defense campaigns around your core keywords on major platforms. Uh, We talked a bit about that on a previous episode with Allie talking about our Google ad grant strategies for end of year. So uh, good luck out there. Stay safe and hope the money starts flowing as whole whale has predicted $3 billion knock on wood will be donated on this day. We'll find out though in like a month when it's all tally. What else we got, Nick? Yeah. So we await that tally. We, moving into our next story, this is about supply chain issues disrupting the donation of toys. Uh, This comes from an article from the Star Tribune, which has done some excellent reporting out of the Twin Cities about how supply chain issues are affecting charities that particularly deal with physical goods this holiday season. The article itself was highlighting an organization called PRISM, which deals with toy donations 
and they talk to other organizations within this really well-researched article within the Twin Cities about how global and national and even local economic trends and supply chain disruption issues are causing on-the-ground problems for organizations like this organization PRISM, but also for organizations like the Salvation Army and other drives for things like food and toys. So it's kind of a, a perfect storm. You have supply chain issues, you have COVID concerns coming back, you have inflation, there's increased shipping costs and labor shortages, and all these factors together are making it a little bit challenging for a lot of organizations that work in, you know, to donate physical goods like toys uh, to get folks what they need this holiday season. So a trend in a, I guess, a sad, a sad story, but the, the, the takeaway here, I would say, is be prepared, start as early as possible, and anticipate that this is going to be a problem into the future. This is not going to resolve overnight. Yeah, they point to also sort of decreases in volunteers coming, which you need volunteers to move physical goods, to distribute physical goods, and to do outreach. Also, it's just like this wide range of dominoes falling in social impact because they also speak to the fact that a lot of offices that used to have these toy drives when people got together, hey, you know, in the same way that I think, you know, we've talked about the Girl Scout cookie crunch, pun intended, where in office, people weren't able to sell to each other as much. They aren't having that toy drive box where people see it presently and are reminded to drop it off and then uh, are brought in. You know, it's it's one of those second order effects of remote, you know, of remote working that hasn't totally been calculated in yet for the way these types of organizations work to support uh, in this case, children uh, during the holiday season. Absolutely. An upsetting trend to see, but just something that organizations are going to have to adapt for. I'll add that this article interviewed some of the executive director and other executive folks at the organization PRISM, and it seems like they are on top of the game, anticipated this, started their process and their toy drives early, and they sound like a great organization if you're interested in donating toys to kids in need this season but a narrative that will continue to follow. Yeah, and you can borrow for urgency. The why now, you know, we're in our second year of a pandemic. We've kind of, we've been through the round one messaging. So how do you evolve that to the why now? And I think supply chain potentially offers that. Remote work impacts potentially offers that. Uh, dangers facing volunteers working through COVID now, that offers urgency and reasons to, to give and support and to make the case to the end of your appeals. All of that, I don't mean to put it in this way, but fodder for a good cause if you're looking for narrative threads. Absolutely. I'll I'll say I've seen marketing copy that directly calls out inflation from organizations saying, listen, inflation's affecting us too. We are in uh, a period of increased need, increased demand facing higher prices. And I think that's effective affecting marketing copy. All right, I'll take us into the summary where we'll talk about some other stories. This uh, first story is from the New York Times, and it is about the consulting firm and firms behind some of the largest individual philanthropic 
uh, donations that we've been hearing about. Particularly, this article was talking about an organization, a firm called the Bridgespan Group, which was handling the donations of Miss Scott, uh, if we remember, um, the ex-wife of uh, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos and her extremely generous donations. But George, we talked on this podcast wondering, okay, where are they getting this the, these lists of organizations to? How is it determined where this money's apportioned? We knew that she was working with some consultant, some agency, some foundation, and it turns out it was this organization called the Bridgespan Group, which in this article was spun off as a nonprofit from Bain and Company uh, back in the day as a kind of nonprofit philanthropic consulting arm. But it's really interesting, and the article brings up some interesting points about vast amounts of money being kind of directed by singular entities, uh, particularly entities within the kind of corporate philanthropic, uh, corporate philanthropy world, um, and whether that is the best, most effective, and most equitable way to distribute high-value donations. I'm kind of of two minds of this. I think you need you need the people who are going to crunch the numbers and be able to measure effectiveness and monitor this and make sure the money's going to the right place. But at the same time, uh, you also probably want input from people on the ground who can provide meaningful perspectives. So a lot of different narratives in this article, but it's really worth reading if you're interested in the corporate um, and kind of high value uh, philanthropy foundation world. It's an excellent, excellent article, and you know, Bridgespan is in fact a nonprofit themselves. Uh, on that front, you know, I think they're they're quoted and fairly represented in this article, while also noting that they are advisors. You know, when it comes to Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Ford Foundation, Rockefeller, and you know, a number of others. So, you know, they their services clearly are needed. That's what I love about the market. Be like, be angry, be frustrated. But like, if you're going to give away that much money, you need to make sure that, you know, it's uh, it's being deployed in the right responsible way. So, um, you know, that's what the market is finding. And that's that's kind of why they continue to to grow in our name in the field. Absolutely. It's uh I'm not, I think there's always room for improvement. You always want as many people at the table as possible, but at the same time, you need an organization that can spearhead this with uh, accountability, you know? So a really interesting article. I recommend folks check it out. I'll take us into our next article, and this is a follow-up to a story that we talked about a couple months ago. And the headline of this is that the city of New York has severed ties with the housing nonprofit organization run by Jack A. Brown III. If we remember, the uh, city of New York has very large contracts with a couple of housing nonprofits, particularly related to providing uh, housing for low income and folks experiencing homelessness. Uh, it turns out that this guy was acting. Uh, at very least unethically, um, and 
was accused of hiring things like relatives and steering millions of dollars into for-profit businesses that he controlled. Um, So it seems that after some digging and uh, investigation that the city is actually ending their relationship with this organization. Yeah, not much to add here, but it's very clear that the media pressure and attention on this simply added up to an amount that the board couldn't turn their eyes on. And, you know, rather predictable, I'd say, in in sort of this uh, story narrative. Absolutely. That media pressure helped. It was a New York Times investigation that uh, publicized it. So... Moving into our next story, this is a fun one. This comes from the Times-Herald out of Port Huron in Michigan. And this is a fun story about different ways that uh, folks are getting involved, or creative ways that folks are fundraising on Giving Tuesday. And it turns out that Port Huron Museums are doing a Facebook Live telethon Um, that they're going to be filming and distributing live over eight hours. And it's going to feature local talents, quote unquote, ranging from painting to poetry and crowning a beard king of Port Huron. I'm sure that there are many award-winning beards in the Port Huron area. I like this idea. I would tune in. I think this just goes to show uh, a creative way to kind of cut through enormous amounts of uh, <laughs> marketing and everyone kind of buying for your Giving Tuesday donations, a fun and creative way to, to cut through the field and uh, raise money for your cause. Yeah, I like the creativity here and, and the story. Clearly, not just limited to Giving Tuesday, but you can create events like these, pull in the community and uh, create a, an event uh, just you know in your own backyard, looking at people with beards even. Uh, I can't grow a beard myself. But I see the attraction. (laughs) For sure. Shall we move into a feel-good story, George? Please. All right. This is a fun one along a similar vein. This is about local public media affiliate WCMU, as reported by The Morning Sun, of giving free radio time to nonprofits within their, their broadcast area. Um, It seems that there is some kind of competition and then organizations will receive radio airtime valued at a couple thousand dollars to promote their cause going into the season of giving. And I think this is a really cool partnership between uh, public radio and organizations uh, fundraising for a cause. And I I like to see kind of this this teaming up. Um, Radio stations, you often hear those radio telethons, those donation drive telethons, maybe they last a week. I'm a fan of classical music radio and classical music radio New York. They always they always get to you. They always get to me, I should say. Um, so just a cool way to fundraise and uh, create some alliances when it comes to giving uh, this holiday season. I like the angle of looking at local public radio, which, you know, continues to have listenership. Those airwaves are still open and people still listen and you know, you can actually find some value in terms of the quality of attention there. And uh, it's great to see that type of, you know, gift being given away, but also, you know, arguably they look at it, maybe it's worth paying for actual airtime as well uh, to, to reach those audiences. All right. 
I have some uh, Giving Tuesday gifts to get going out there. But Nick, have a great Giving Tuesday, and I'll see you next week. See you next week. Happy Giving Tuesday. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com slash university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 